Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today we have a crazy revenge of utterly ruining a car. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, I egged my ex-best friend's house. I never really understood what it felt like to be betrayed. It always seemed to be some emotion that would be induced by some major scam scheme or some juicy secret leaked. I didn't think I'd feel so strongly about being left out of some silly party by some teenager. Turns out I had all right too. When that someone turned out to be my best friend, I couldn't help the disappointment, nor could I help the sudden hatred that flooded my brain cells. It all started when I had to move to a new town. My mom and dad had been separated for quite some time then, and they both loved their children a lot. The universe made things easy for them. They only had two children, me and my sister Lucia. To part on the most amicable terms, they decided they'd draw papers to see who got the children. Smart thinking, wasn't it? Well, they drew the papers and I ended up with my dad while Lucia got to stay with my mom. It wasn't all that bad, we just weren't living together anymore. But we stayed in the same city so we could always easily visit each other and the other parent when we wanted to go for fun picnics together or plan trips to the museums without trouble. You see, we weren't a perfect family, but I grew to love the easy flow of our relationship. I loved my dad with his criminal dad jokes and juicy Saturday breakfast burgers. It was no trouble to fall in love with my mom's charming smile and open heart, and no one could deny my love for Lucia. We'd always been thick as thieves. She was my older sister, and she always seemed to shield me. She'd fight any of the boys who tried to bully me when we were in kindergarten. She spent her savings to get me the tiara of my dreams that would make my prom dress look even more elegant when our parents refused to get it for me. During the turmoil and chaos of our parents splitting up, she refused to shed tears in my presence. She assured me that it wasn't too big a deal. So when my dad's company unreasonably decided to enticingly offer him a spot at the headquarters of their company in North Carolina with a promise of a much bigger salary and a new company car, I was beside myself with rage. I didn't want to leave my sister. My dad obviously couldn't and wouldn't let the offer pass him by. He immediately called for a family meeting. We only had those when something important happened and recklessly told us the news with a gigantic smile on his face, not realizing what that could mean for the family. We could always come back in the summer, he tried, after realizing we'd gone quiet due to his announcement. Lucia got up from the table, leaving her half-finished steak abandoned and locking herself up in her room. You couldn't possibly expect me not to take this offer, he sighed, looking straight at me as I salted my pasta with hot tears. Don't, Antonio, my mother said in a quiet but stern voice. How else would you expect them to react? They're just kids. Let them express themselves the way they know how to. I spent that night and the next few nights after that crying myself to sleep, and even when I woke up in the morning, my heart shivered at the thought of what was to happen in a few days. My mom tried to play the, why don't you just leave them both with me card, but my dad retorted that if that was the issue, he wouldn't mind taking both of us with him. Sad, I know. We spent the next few weeks selling our apartments and valuable furniture. We also did a lot of shopping for our travels, the part that I liked. 
We said our goodbyes and I found myself on a plane headed to North Carolina where I was supposed to start my life from scratch like it didn't bother me. I hated it in North Carolina. I guess I just refused to allow myself to enjoy it at first. I didn't like our new apartment. It didn't smell like home. I didn't have any funny memories of burning sauce in the kitchen at night. There was no stain on the carpet from the time Lucia and I got black current all over it. The only park around was at least five miles away, which meant I couldn't have my quiet park diary sessions. The meals just didn't taste right. They were either too salty or didn't have enough spice in them. It was as if North Carolina hated me too. I gazed out of the small window of my room with a sigh. As if to sprinkle salt on my wound, a group of people in a car drove past. The top of the car was off so I could hear their loud music and laughter. The memories of the plans my friends and I had made once we'd gotten a car ourselves pierced my heart. I wasn't sure if I could make friends here. What kind of people would I even meet in the school? Would they be mean? Would they like me? My questions were answered soon enough as I walked through the front doors. The hustle and bustle of the hallway was nearly deafening. Why was it so loud? I wasn't used to such a large crowd since my last school was much smaller. I hadn't even been standing there for up to two minutes when someone almost shoved me to the ground and they didn't even bother apologizing. No manners, huh? With every second that passed, I became more and more annoyed. I had already collected my schedule from the office the day before, so all I needed to do was get to homeroom. I held on to the straps of my bag tightly. This was not going to be easy. Miraculously, I'd made it through the roaring sea of students with all my limbs intact. I might have lost a hairpin or two, but I was just glad I didn't get hurt too badly. I walked in through the open door into a half-full classroom. For a brief second, all eyes were on me, and like it never happened, everyone went back to whatever they were doing. As I took a seat close to the back of the class, I wasn't entirely sure what to feel. It was not good to be the center of attention though, but that all changed when the teacher asked me if I would like to introduce myself. Despite being completely adverse to the idea, I found myself in front of the class staring blankly at them. I wasn't a shy person, it's just the way they all stared at me. Their haughty eyes scanning me, like I was an object that they were trying to determine the value of. The entire situation gave me goosebumps. After a minute, someone spoke up. Maybe she's stupid. A few laughs bounced around the room. Miss Brooke, said the teacher sternly. Oh, come on, teach, said a boy from the back row. It was just a joke, or maybe she is stupid. The next response was like the first, only louder. Embarrassed, I returned to my seat without another word. These people didn't want to know who I was, and I was fine with that. I just wanted this day to end. I looked at the clock and groaned inwardly. It hadn't been more than an hour, and I'd already hated my school. Thanks a lot, Dad. Lunch had to be the best time. Normally, I should have tried to find a place to sit, been rejected by almost everyone, and walked out of the loud cafeteria feeling dejected. Don't get me wrong, all of that happened. But the point is, I found a quiet, empty classroom where I was able to eat in peace. No rowdy guys yelling or people staring at me condescendingly. It was the one time I could relax. Of course, when Dad asked me about school, I conveniently left that part out. I told him all the terrible things that had happened to me, how they would whisper to each other or just tell me whatever they thought to my face. I told him that they hated me and I hated it there too. Unfortunately, instead of him consoling me and telling me that we'd move back home right there and then, he just shrugged and told me that I'd get used to it. I don't think that I'd want to get used to being treated horribly, dad. 
Are you even listening to me? He replied, I meant getting used to the school, honey. It's just some kids poking fun. It'll die down at some point, he said, proceeding to usher me out of his study. I said, when will that be? When I graduate? I was fuming by the time I answered Lucia's call. She was the only one who'd understand. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Storytime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Nearly everyone at some point in their life will struggle with their mental health, whether that's something stressful at work, in a personal relationship, or something else. I know that I really struggled with anxiety in my early 20s, and therapy was a massive help for me. That's why I'm a massive fan of therapy, and today's sponsor, BetterHelp. If there is anything in your life, big or small, that is negatively affecting you, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. It's an online therapy service that after finishing a small questionnaire will match you with a licensed therapist where you can book appointments that match up with your schedule at any place or any time. And if you feel like you're not bonding with your therapist, you can switch at any point for free. Also, therapy isn't just if you're struggling with mental health. If you're looking for guidance or ways to improve your social skills, life, or relationships, it's a great judgment-free way of doing that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com StorytimePod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash StorytimePod. This is awful, sis. I hate everything here and I want to go home, I whined, curling up on my bed. She said, tell me everything, babe. When I finished, I was on the brink of tears. What was I going to do? Don't worry, babe. Things will get better, soothed Lucia. It was basically what Dad had said, but I know she meant it. Despite knowing that, I whispered, do you mean that? She said, yes, I do. Do you know why? I could hear the smile in her voice. I said, no. Because you're beautiful and smart and one of the funniest people I know. And soon, everyone there will realize just how amazing you are. Don't let them get to you. You're bigger than that. And just in case someone roughs you up a little too much, just give me a call. I'll teach them a lesson. I chuckled at that. Typical Lucia, always wanting to come to my rescue even though we both knew that she was several miles too far to have too much of an effect. Well, a talk with Lucia was all I needed to get clarity on my situation. I was far away from home and I had to make North Carolina my new home, if I didn't want to torture myself for the next few years I'd live there. First, I gave my room a much-needed makeover. The curtains were too dull for my taste, and the walls were the wrong color. 
Plus, I needed a few pieces of furniture like a desk and a chair for my study time. After being satisfied with that, I turned to the rest of the house. Depressing art out, flower vases in, air purifiers in, I made the apartment into the most comfortable version of itself, for me. Thankfully, my dad had no objections. Then I had to make myself comfortable at school, which involved changing from the French classes to Spanish classes and standing up for myself. I wasn't going to let anyone get away with walking all over me. The more I let them, the more they would do it. So I had to defend myself. In gym class, pretty boy Luke, the best looking boy in our grade who thought his pretty privilege extended to covering up his inhumane acts and bad character, purposely threw a ball at my head, which I managed to avoid in time. I threw one back at him, aiming for the place where the sun doesn't shine. I'm not sure which was responsible for the look on his face. The pain? Or the surprise that I retaliated? By the time I'd shut Michael up in front of the whole class and ignored Priscilla and Calculus, people were learning not to mess with me. They all just started to leave me all alone, which wasn't as satisfying as I'd expected. Fortunately, I'd made a friend, and a really good one at that. I was walking in the hallway when someone suddenly slipped her arm into mine. I doubled back in surprise, but she didn't let go of her grip on my hand. Hey, I'm Claire. You probably already know my name, she said. She was right, though. I knew who she was. Everyone did because she was popular. I didn't respond to that. She said, well, I want to be friends with you. You seem cool. For a high schooler, that was a lame friendship proposal, but I took it because I felt lonely even though I'd never admitted it out loud. Claire was a lot of fun. She was good at drawing and we'd play games where I'd try to guess what she was trying to draw before she completed it. I was mostly unsuccessful. She hung out at my house a lot. She showed me all her favorite places in town. She taught me how to make a French braid on my hair perfectly. We always hung out with each other. We'd practically become best friends. And even though we didn't call ourselves that, we knew it was true. I liked her light, fluffy personality. Though sometimes she had little mean girl moments. I was particularly attached to her. She was one of the only people I enjoyed talking to. She didn't seem fake like the rest of my new friends. I liked her vibe. So when I heard her birthday date was close, I did a little research and spent a lot of my money getting her the best birthday gift I could think of. I bought her a paintbrush that had been used by one of her favorite artists. I knew she was going to love it, and she did. She practically jumped for joy when she opened up the gift wrap and saw the paintbrush with the famous initials on it. She seemed genuinely pleased when we spent the whole afternoon together. This is why I'm still confused to this day as to why she threw a party the next day and didn't bother inviting me to it. I was extremely befuddled when I started scrolling through my TikTok and saw a lot of my friends posting the good times they were having at her house. I started to wonder if I'd somehow forgotten that I'd been invited to her birthday party. But I hadn't forgotten. She never mentioned it, and no one else had. But they all knew about it. Turns out Claire had asked them all not to tell me about it, and I had no idea why. The next week at school, I confronted her about it and asked why I wasn't invited. She laughed it off and said that invites are privileges, not rights to anyone. Then she acted like everything was fine and continued crooning on about some vile boy she had a crush on, but I barely heard the words she was saying. She'd left me out of her party list on purpose, and she didn't even have the decency to apologize about it. Were we friends? Or did she see me as one of her goons that she could hang with whenever it was convenient for her and discard when she felt like it? I didn't like that feeling at all. I was an option to her. 
and that was awful. When I make someone a priority in my life, I'd like to know that I'm a priority to them too. Slowly, I detached myself from Claire. It wasn't worth it. I couldn't be in a friendship where I was invested but the other person was only half invested. I pulled away, and she noticed but she didn't see a need to talk to me about it, so I continued to hurt over the fact that she thought so little of me. I didn't want to talk to her anymore, but the stubbornness deep inside of me wanted to cause her a little bit of pain. I just wanted to see her frustrated, and the perfect opportunity presented itself. Her parents were going to be away from home for the weekend, and they left her in charge of her baby sister in the house. I knew that because I'd heard Clyde tell Betty that Claire wouldn't be attending his party because of the aforementioned reasons. Immediately, I knew what I was going to do. I was going to egg her house. She would be held responsible by her parents if anything went wrong because they'd caught her throwing a party once when they got back earlier than she expected. So I knew she was going to tire herself out trying to clear out the mess and get rid of the smell before they got back. The first part could be easily done, but not so much the second. By the time I'd gotten my tool set for action, she'd taken her sister for a walk, so I had some minutes to execute my scheme. To my delight, she'd left her room window open so I aimed particularly for there. I had to be quick though. I didn't want any of her neighbors to catch me. I quickly finished my work and hid in the bushes to admire my hard work. I watched her stare in confusion at all the eggs all over her house. She paused at the door and then realized that her room window was wide open. She rushed there and screamed in frustration. Then she began to scrub her window pane violently. What a fabulous way to spend your weekend. She must have had a lot of fun playing nanny, except she wasn't playing and she had actual duties to perform before her parents got home or she'd be in trouble. I could barely contain my laughter. I went home that night smelling like victory and eggs. Man, you really find out how vain people are in high school. Honestly, you hope that most of these people grow up and as they reach adulthood, they look back at high school, they look back at the way they were and the things they had done and find themselves horrified at it. Some people never grow up though, and the sad thing is, a lot of these people, they continue for the rest of their lives chasing their glory days as they've experienced in high school. That said, our next story is, there was no way I was going to leave without a lasting reminder. In the heart of a bustling cafe, I found myself drawn into a stranger's narrative, a dramatic tale of friendship and betrayal that resonated deeply with my own past. Her words unfolded with an intensity that held me captivated, and as she spoke, I couldn't help but reflect on my own youthful experiences and perhaps I should have shared with her what I now share with you guys. The cafe was abuzz with activity, but the woman's voice carried above the chatter, filling the air with a mixture of frustration and determination. She said her friends made her feel like the bad person at an event they all went to together. She always felt like the third wheel in their trio, but it didn't stink so much as it ever did like that day. Eventually, it came down to picking sides and she was on the losing side, but couldn't let it go, so she decided to use a sharpie on one's car. She began her story with an unexpected twist. She had initially been enjoying herself at an event with her friends. The sun had cast a warm glow over the day and laughter had filled the air as they gathered together. For a while, it seemed like just another day spent in the company of friends. As the event progressed, she reveled in the camaraderie of her friends. They shared stories, exchanged jokes, and reveled in each other's company. It was a moment of unity and joy, and for a while, she felt like an integral part of their close-knit group. 
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. However, the tide turned when her friends, sensing an opportunity for privacy, stealthily slipped away to the bathroom together. It was during this clandestine rendezvous that the narrative took a darker turn. She overheard their hushed conversation, their voices laced with a venomous edge as they dissected her character with cruelty that cut deep. As she recounted that pivotal moment, her voice trembled with the raw emotions that had surged within her. It was as if a hidden trapdoor to a parallel world had been flung open, revealing a painful truth she had been oblivious to until that very instant. Her friends, whom she had trusted and cherished, had turned against her, and their betrayal was a dagger to her heart. In the confines of that bathroom, she had become an unwitting eavesdropper to a heart-wrenching revelation. Her friends had unleashed a torrent of mean-spirited comments, questioning her worth and ridiculing her presence within their group. The pain of their words was compounded by the fact that she had considered them her confidants, her allies in a world that often felt alienating. As I listened to her story, my heart ached in empathy. I couldn't help but think back to my own youthful years when I, too, had navigated the complexities of friendships and the bitter sting of betrayal. The raw emotion in her voice mirrored the turmoil I'd experienced during my own coming-of-age journey. Her decision to seek revenge, she explained, had been born out of a profound sense of hurt and anger. It was a desperate attempt to regain a semblance of control in a world that had suddenly turned hostile. The idea of using a sharpie marker to leave her mark on one of her friend's cars had seemed like a small act of defiance. A fleeting moment of satisfaction in the midst of overwhelming despair. But in the end, the revenge had offered only temporary relief. It was a fleeting triumph over her tormentors. A hollow victory that did little to heal the wounds that ran deep. It was a lesson learned in the crucible of experience. One that would ultimately lead her toward a path of forgiveness and self-discovery. As her story concluded, I found myself offering not judgment but compassion. The stranger's tale had served as a mirror to my own past. A reminder to the complexities of youth and the enduring lessons that shape our journeys. If she could find it within herself to forgive and grow from this painful experience, as I learned to do over the years, then her story would serve as a testament to the resilience of the human spirit and the transformative power of reflection and personal growth. I've done fairly bad and awful things in my past, but there is one I did without a single trace of remorse in the world. Though three decades have passed since that hot August day when I exacted my revenge on Tina, my former roommate, the memory still brings a sly smile to my face and a deep sense of peace to my soul. Life has a way of reshaping us, and I'm no exception. Today, I'm Sabrina, a completely different person from the one who hatched that mischievous plan. I've evolved into someone who values empathy and kindness above all else, and the memory of that revenge serves as a stark reminder of how far I've come. When I was 22 or 23, it's been a while, life found me nestled in a charming yet bustling Utah college town. 
It was a place where, if you were single, roommates were practically a rite of passage. The prospect of living solo was a luxury few could afford in a town where even the cost of a solo cup of coffee felt like a splurge. Perhaps it was the prevailing influence of the Mormon community that subtly nudged everyone toward the altar, and it often left me exclaiming, Ugh. My residence was a two-bedroom townhouse, a modest abode that I shared with two other ladies. They took hold of the spacious master bedroom, and I was content with the cozier, albeit dimmer, smaller bedroom. This period of my life was a somber chapter characterized by a relentless melancholy that seemed to seep into every facet of my existence. The roots of this melancholy can be traced back to several factors that converge to form a perfect storm of emotional turmoil. Firstly, the transitional phase of being in my early 20s was proving to be far more turbulent than I'd anticipated. The pressures of adulthood, career choices, and financial stability weighed heavily on my mind. The expectations of society and the constant comparison with peers contributed to a growing sense of inadequacy. Secondly, living in a bustling college town where most individuals seemed to share their lives with roommates added an additional layer of isolation. As a person who cherished my independence and valued personal space, the constant presence of others became overwhelming. The loneliness intensified as I observed the camaraderie of my roommates and their social circle which often felt just out of reach. Then, unresolved personal issues from my past gnawed at my psyche, casting a long shadow over my emotional well-being. These internal struggles, coupled with external pressures, created a perfect breeding ground for the persistent melancholy that enveloped me. In the face of this emotional storm, my room became my refuge. It was within those four walls that I sought solace and respite from that tumultuous world outside. I withdrew into solitude, not by choice, but as a means of self-preservation, where the room's boundaries served both as a fortress against the outside world's chaos and a confidant for my innermost thoughts and struggles. These two ladies, Tina, the more domineering one, and another whose name I've tried but just can't recall, let's call her roommate number two, were a few years my junior if memory serves me right, had cultivated a social circle that extended to the neighboring units. There was a night a stark contrast to my usual solitary moments when I ventured out to a club with them and friends against my better judgment. It was a failed attempt to break free from the pervasive isolation that had become my refuge, a feeble effort to just socialize with my roommates as they'd been persistently urging me to join them on their nightly escapades for weeks, and eventually, I relented. As I stepped into the pulsating heart of the club, the deafening music reverberated through my chest, setting my heart racing. The kaleidoscope of flashing lights, frenetic dancing, and exuberant laughter was overwhelming. It was a world so far removed from my comfort zone that I immediately questioned my decision. I made a valiant effort to integrate into their lively fold, mimicking their carefree spirit as they danced and laughed. But the darkness that had enveloped my soul, my constant companion in solitude, remained stubbornly present. Instead of the anticipated liberation, I felt even more isolated amidst the chaotic partying. My attempts at conversation were stilted, and my forced smiles seemed out of place. As the night wore on, I realized that my solitude had become a self-imposed shield against the overwhelming world outside, and attempting to break free from it had only intensified my sense of isolation. Eventually, I retreated to a quiet corner of the club, my sanctuary within the chaos, 
where I watched the vibrant crowd from a distance, longing for the comfort of my solitary room. It was a night that served as a stark reminder of the enduring darkness within me, one that I couldn't simply escape by stepping into the bright lights of the outside world. I bore no ill will toward them, maintained impeccable tidiness, and even contributed to the household's culinary delights from time to time, as cooking brought me solace. Nevertheless, my desire for solitude grated on their nerves. As the time to decide whether to renew the lease for our shared living space approached, they didn't mince words. They straightforwardly told me that I needed to move out and find a different place to live. Their message was clear and unequivocal. They no longer wanted me as their roommate. It was a firm and resolute decision they made, leaving me with no option but to seek a new place to stay in such a short and unplanned span of time. And so began the descent into chaos. No longer bound by politeness or camaraderie, the friendly facade they had once worn was swiftly replaced by the masks of mean-spirited individuals. Accusations, sharp as barbed wire, were flung my way without second consideration. Their words, unkind and unfiltered, cut deeper than they could have ever imagined. In their bid to wash their hands off our shared living arrangement, they endeavored to saddle me with the burden of house bills and hurled accusations of damage and theft my way. The rapid unraveling of our once cordial coexistence left me in disbelief, and the mounting despair weighed heavily on me with each passing day. One tumultuous day in our shared home, the atmosphere became charged with tension, and it was roommate number two who ignited the fight I was definitely not expecting. Her anger was palpable, and her words were like daggers, cutting deep with their sharpness. The catalyst for this sudden outburst, I soon discovered, was her belief that I'd been rude to her boyfriend. The specifics of how I'd allegedly offended her boyfriend remained a baffling mystery, a riddle without a solution. I racked my brain trying to piece together the puzzle of what could have transpired to trigger such an intense reaction. The truth, however, eluded me, and the enigma of the situation only deepened. But then I realized roommate number two's boyfriend was probably just out to get me back, as there was a backstory to the strained relationship between her boyfriend and me. He had made advances toward me in the past, a fact that I had tactfully avoided bringing up in her presence. While I didn't consider him my type and wasn't emotionally prepared for any form of relationship or even friendship, our interactions had become increasingly awkward whenever we found ourselves alone. It was as if an unspoken tension lingered in the air, a mutual understanding that we occupied different worlds. On that fateful day, when he arrived knowing that my relationship with the girls had soured due to roommate 2's grievances, he saw an opportunity for his own brand of revenge. His actions were driven by a desire to inflict the same discomfort and distress upon me that I'd unwittingly caused roommate number two, as I am sure due to the conversations we had was what roommate number two had told him. So, I just stood there while she shouted, feeling surprised and upset. I knew that I was about to move to a new apartment where I would be the only person living there, so I didn't want to make things worse by arguing with her. Even though I really was mad on the inside, I decided not to fight back and just let her say what she wanted. I knew that this fight was just the big final argument in a long series of problems we had living together. I couldn't wait to leave that place and find a new place where I could finally have some peace and quiet. So, I kept quiet and stayed strong, knowing that soon I would be in a much better and more peaceful place, away from all the chaos and problems of living with them but best believe I wasn't going to leave without a lasting reminder. 
There had to be something that, though I would never own up to, sufficed for all the pain they had put me through, and just soon after the incident, I put my revenge plan in motion. While I was enduring those trying times with my roommates, I knew an opportunity for subtle revenge would present itself. You see, both of them worked at the same retail store and usually drove to work together, leaving behind a set of car keys. The day I decided to take action was sweltering, a scorching August day with the sun beating down relentlessly. First, I hatched a plan to taint roommate number two's domain. Under her bed, I discreetly uncapped a permanent sharpie marker and tucked it beneath a box. I envisioned the ink slowly seeping into the carpet, creating a stubborn stain that could never be fully removed. My intention was that she would be held responsible for the damage, a small but satisfying act of retribution. Next, I indulged in a classic prank that involved their toothbrushes. I used their brushes to clean the two toilets, a symbolic gesture aimed at expressing my pent-up frustration. Afterward, I ran the brushes through the dishwasher, sparing them any physical harm while allowing myself the pleasure of picturing their shocked reactions when they realized what had happened. Finally, I concocted a scheme involving Tina's car. With her vehicle parked under the scorching sun, I seized the opportunity to exact my revenge. Armed with a large glass of whole milk, I ventured to her car and opened the back door. Slowly and methodically, I poured the glass of milk down the seatbelt hole in the middle of the seat. The rank odor of spoiled milk is a memory that lingers long after its source vanishes, and I knew it would haunt her for days to come, especially since she wouldn't be able to figure out where the smell was coming from. The act was carried out in the early morning, ensuring that the milk had ample time to curdle and unleash its pungent aroma during the sweltering day ahead. With my own keys in hand, I headed off to work, a sense of satisfaction washing over me. My soul, once burdened by the trials of living with them, was finally at peace. I had one more week left in that place before I would make my eagerly anticipated escape. In the days that followed, I observed Tina's futile attempts to pinpoint the source of the noxious smell that plagued her car. It never crossed her mind that I was the architect of her olfactory torment, an act of revenge that remained my secret and a final satisfying chapter in our tumultuous shared living experience. As I settled into the newfound tranquility of my new apartment two weeks later, a profound sense of satisfaction enveloped me like a warm embrace. While sweet, the taste of revenge paled compared to the feeling of finally regaining control over my life. It has now been an eternity since I'd felt such empowerment. The memory of that sweltering August day, with the indelible marks of the sharpie staining the carpet, and the lingering aroma of spoiled milk in roommate number two's car etched a smile on my face and provided a lasting sense of inner peace. It was a moment when I'd taken the reins of my own destiny, asserting myself in a world that had once cast me into a bleak corner. My vengeance was never intended to inflict physical harm, but rather to serve as a vehicle for reclaiming my dignity, a symbolic pushback against the injustices I'd endured. It was my way of asserting that I would no longer be a passive observer of my own life, but an active participant in shaping my future. In the years that have passed since that fateful day, three decades of life experiences and growth have unfolded. The memory endures as a testament to the resilience of the human spirit and the capacity to find solace in the most unexpected of circumstances. It serves as a reminder that even in the darkest times, we can summon the strength to forge our path to redemption. 
Should Tina ever stumble upon this narrative, I hope she can find it within herself to forgive me and, perhaps, understand the intricate web of circumstances that compelled me to embark on that act of revenge. Life has a way of leading us down unexpected paths, and the story of our shared history is a testament to the transformative power of time and reflection. Oh, and I guess roommate number two also knows now why the stain on her rug could never be completely removed. Would I do it all again if I had to relive this experience with wicked roommates? You bet I would. But I'm now in my 50s and the only revenge I indulge in is pretending I don't hear my daughter when she calls me. No, I'm not childish. She invented the playing dumb game. I'm just giving her a little taste of her medicine. Well, I don't know if OP had to pay any kind of deposit on that apartment, but if they did, I doubt they got their money back after that Sharpie stain in the carpet. But maybe it was worth it to OP, or if they didn't have to pay any kind of deposit, giddy up and go before you have to pay any kind of fee. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now if you want to hear another crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.